Hello, welcome to Math for Knitters. This is the fourth episode, and I would like to start out by thanking Shannon at Knitcentric um, for her very kind review of my show. Also, I'm going to play for you her promo at the end of the show. She's really fun. She lives in Japan. I think she's American, though, or from America, anyway. Also, there's a fantastic podcast that I just discovered called Knit to Be Tied. That's the number two and the letter B. And in her second show, she has a fantastic song, Baby Blanket Blues, that I think that we can all relate to. So, today's show is about short row shaping. Short row shaping is something that is generally considered to be an advanced technique, although I really don't know why. I think it's fantastic and really fun and really gives you a chance to explore geography, um, not geography, but shaping and a more three-dimensional thinking process for your knitting. Taking command of this technique is not difficult. All you really need is either a formula, a plan, or a good gauge swatch to create your own formula or plan. And of course, uh, wrapping, which is the only even vaguely difficult portion of this technique. Wrapping is important because when you do short rows, it's all, it, it means what it sounds like. If you were doing a gauge swatch of 10 stitches or 20 stitches, because we all know 10 is probably too small, a gauge swatch of 20 stitches, and you wanted to see what your shaping would look like if you were adding extra ease in for your bust in a sweater, if you need that sort of thing. I know not everybody needs that. Not everyone is a woman, and not everyone wants a form-fitting garment. But if you are going to, and you wanted to see how your shaping would work out, then you might have your 20-stitch gauge swatch, and then you might knit up to the 19th stitch, turn around, knit 18 stitches, or work 18 stitches. If you're working stuck in it, you'd be purling back. Turn around, 17, and so on. So what you're basically doing is stacking shorter rows than the entire row on top of your main piece of knitting. And what that does is it gives you a three-dimensional kind of blip where your knitting will stick up or stick out or in other words have more of a shape to it than just a flat piece of knitting. If you do not wrap those end stitches you will end up with gapping small holes or it just looks funny. We avoid that by wrapping the stitch. Later on this week I'm going to try to do some examples of this sort of thing for you and I will photograph it and that will show you what what this technique looks like the way that I do it. In stockinette stitch what I do is if I'm on a knit row and I'm going to turn for a short row I knit to in this example stitch number 19 and then I take the 20th stitch to wrap. So what I do is I move the yarn from the back to the front as if I were going to purl, slide the 20th stitch over from my left hand needle to my right hand needle, 
literally wrap the stitch with the working yarn from the front to the back and then move the 20th stitch back to the left hand needle and turn the work. When I turn the work my yarn will already be facing me because I just wrapped it around and now it's in the back again until I turned it so now it's in the front again and since I'm working a stockinette that's exactly where I would like it to be. And what this will look like is a little pearl bump on the front of, of the work and every short row usually in garment shaping the way that I do it has a corresponding longer row either at the end you just want to knit all the way across to get started on every stitch again or what I usually do is put in kind of a dart by short rowing up to a certain point and then less short rowing back or longer rowing back so at the in this example say I wanted five short rows then I would probably space them for a bust easement because I wouldn't want it to just be really a tight turn I want some spacing so I would end up doing that on my gauge swatch doing that 19 and then 18 back which takes me one from the edge on the other side wrapping that stitch coming back and just going all the way across over all 20 but when I hit that 20th stitch I don't want that pearl bump to stay there so I'm going to grab it up with my left hand needle or my right hand needle and then knit it together with the stitch below it and that creates a nice a, a nice kind of uh, close for that row. Now, obviously, using the edge stitches is probably the worst possible way to do an example of this. So if we think ahead and go, okay, I did, I did 19, I did 18, and then I closed it, and then I went up and did 17 and 16, or whatever. It's going to look more tidy because it's not on the edge and the edge is kind of automatically untidy for me anyway. So that's how it goes in stockinette stitch. In garter stitch, I just leave the wrapped stitch alone because it just looks like a pearl bump and you see those all over garter stitch anyway. If you are really picky, you can pick it up and knit it with the stitch below it just as we did for stockinette. Well, this is a great technique for adding, like I said, ease to your bust. You could also use it to raise the back of the neck of a sweater. Elizabeth Zimmerman in her books advocates this because that way you don't feel like the wind is blowing down your neck all the time. It keeps the back of the sweater from feeling too short. But you can also use it to create entirely different shapes. You can make a garter stitch square you can make a garter stitch circle. Uh, you can make a little garter stitch globe if you like, and you can do it all with just back and forth knitting instead of working in the round. What are the advantages of this? The advantage is that it's fun, <laughs> it's different, keeps you thinking, but not too hard. And in the end, you get this cute little thing that looks kind of magical and is generally sideways. Like for instance, if you want to do a short row garter stitch hat, the garter stitch st stripes will actually be vertical instead of horizontal. 
and actually I, I saw this done very, very well in Nitty, uh, summer of 2005. And I have the link to that in the show notes where you, where the designer used color and short rows and it was really fantastic. Looked great. So, oh, also, uh, you can do a tea cozy. Let me explain how you do all of those things. It's all based on the idea that you're making garter stitch, either triangles or wedges, depending on how you prefer to think of it. You can do a triangle or wedge, which makes two, a square if you do two of them, by just casting on, say, our 20 stitches, knitting across that first row to stabilize it, you know, and then 19 stitches turning around and then knitting back all the way to the first edge. So in this case, instead of shaping on both ends of our swatch, we're just shaping on one end. So you knit all the way back to the beginning. I like to leave my cast on tail sticking down so that I can keep my bearings when I'm doing this. Then you knit 18 stitches, turn around. 17, 16, 15, and so on until you get down to one. And what you will see will look like a little bit of a, a mine tends to look a little mangled. I'm not really sure why, but it does, you can, if you look on the needle, you will have all of those other stitches that you didn't knit. They're just waiting for you on the needle. They don't go away. They don't go anywhere. You're not binding them off. They're just staying there live and they, they can get a little stretched out. And I actually do prefer to do this on a circular needle, which allows them to curve and not get so stretched out. But once you've hit one, then you start going up again. So you go two, three, four, five, six, seven, up to 20. And if you do this, you'll see that you have made a garter stitch square, but with a difference. It isn't just this stripe, you know, the ridges going straight up and down. It actually is two triangles put together. And I charted this out on graph paper and I will scan that and have that on the website so you can see what I mean. If you take one of those triangles and instead of going back in the other direction to complete complete the square, you, c you can actually have these triangles and line them up back to back, so as it were and create a circle. I believe it takes eight times around to make a flat circle if you are using a rate of increase or decrease of, a rate of decrease of one garter stitch stitch per each garter stitch ridge. And I'll, I'll have pictures of this so that you can figure out what the hell I'm talking about. Oh, I'm sorry. What the heck I'm talking about. <laughs> but in any case, What's kind of interesting is if you visualize those eight wedges or slices or triangles making a flat surface, if you took one of those away and then closed the gap, then it wouldn't be a flat surface anymore. It would be a cone and the top of a hat or the top of a cozy for your teapot or the top of a cozy for your, I don't know, stand mixer are all cones. You, so you could do just seven of those regular, you know, missing one stitch every round or every row, every ridge situations and make a perfectly serviceable cone shape. Or you could dec decrease at a different rate 
you could jump by two. So in the first row, you would leave out one stitch. In the second, second row is going back. In the third way out, you would be leaving behind three, and then five, and then seven. And this makes a lovely, lovely hat um, at any gauge. And it's very, very stretchy because the garter stitch is so stretchy. This was also not my idea. I saw this in 1999 on a knit list gift exchange, and that link will also be in the show notes. So a very fun little way to add some shaping to your life. Probably the most prevalent use for short rows, besides giving shape and basically making virtual darts in your knitting um, for sweaters, is in socks. Short row shaping is a fantastic way to make toe-up socks, and it makes your toes and your heels, and they are the same. And they're very familiar because they're basically the way machine-made socks are made. So here's how that goes, and I will also knit examples of this and show them to you. Say you know that you need a 36-stitch sock. That's your gauge, that fits you, that's what you want. So we're going to start with half of those stitches. So if you can, invisibly cast on or temporarily cast on 18 stitches. Now start the shaping. So you knit those 18 stitches and then you knit 17 and wrap and then 16 and wrap and 15 and wrap and 14 and wrap, so on. For me, I like to stop this procedure at nine, which is half of the half of the stitches for my sock. That works for me. That fits my toe depth and my heel depth. You may be different. If you usually would make a longer than normal heel flap, you might take this out farther to say six or five. I wouldn't suggest one. That might be too pointy for every for anybody. But if you know if you want to try it, try it. One of the advantages of the toe up sock in this way is that you can mess it up and all you've done is knit a little toe. It doesn't take very long and if you messed it up you can just start over. So once you've reached that turnaround point, for me it's nine, start knitting up nine and then picking up, picking up the wrap and then knitting ten, picking up the wrap, knitting eleven, twelve, thirteen, so on, until you get back to your original number. And now what you will see is an adorable little mountain sticking up. Well, maybe not a mountain, but maybe a molehill, whatever. And the end of your needles that you have made perfectly, this little round thing, not round, but conical thing with a flat top on just two needles. Now is the time to get your other double points and pick, pick those stitches up. And so you'll pick up the cast on stitches. Um, if you use some other cast on than the invisible cast on, then you'll have a little bump there. You should make that the top of the foot so that it doesn't bother you when you're stepping on it. And then just go to town. Knit until it is long enough for your foot before you want to make the heel. Another advantage of the toe-up socks is that you can try them on. Keep trying them on until you're comfortable with them. And then start your heel. You start your heel by putting half of the stitches, which is the half that are the top of the foot, onto a string or whatever to hold them, and then repeating your toe process with the heel part of the sock. So 
18, 17, 16, 15, 14, so on. For me until 9, for you maybe pointier, maybe less pointy. And then close that, close that again by going up again, 9, 10, 11, 12, whatever. And when you're done with that, you'll pick up those 18 stitches. Well, you don't have to pick up anything that's already there. You have those 18 stitches and rejoin the 18 stitches that you left behind before. And lo and behold, you'll have made the foot to a sock. This is a great sock for when you don't know how much yarn you have. You can simply make it up to this point for both socks and then kind of guesstimate your leftovers or otherwise figure it out. Or you can use the sliding loop method, magic loop method, whatever they call it now, to knit both your socks at the same time. I don't like to do that because I get confused. I end up joining them <laughs> to each other. So I, I, you know, I get so excited about knitting and I get kind of conjoined socks, which I don't like. Not very useful. So there you have it. That's toe up socks. I will knit the toe um, and maybe Maybe I'll actually make the whole sock. I don't know if I will or not, but this was a really great way to make socks and all of my first socks were made this way. Some people would argue that the, the heel flap gives you a better fit and they may be right, um, but they aren't making your socks. You are, so you get to do it the way you like to. So thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you next week. Bye. Hi, my name is Shannon, and you're listening to Knitcentric, or you will be soon. Now, the more of you I can convince to come and listen to my podcast, the more yarn I can convince my husband I need to buy. While you listen to reviews and tales from my needles, you can help me expand my stash. So do your good deed for the day and listen to Knitcentric on April 1st.